1600 KIVA, ABQ.FM, rockoftalk.com. I'm Eddie Eric on the Rock of Talk. Straight talk with Jeffrey Candelaria begins now. Right here in the Kiva every Saturday afternoon at 1 p.m. And Happy New Year to all the listeners. Jeffrey kicked off the new year with a New Year's Day program reveal. And then, you know, the man never sleeps. We appreciate him being here in the Kiva. Jeff, take it away. I am a vampire. That is true. Thank you, Eddie Aragon, uh, again, for producing the show today and providing this great format to bring uh, enlightenment and great guests like our current guest today, who I will be introducing here in a second. But I have a couple of quick announcements. Don't forget, next week, uh, one of our sponsors, Pavlos Panagopoulos, a very uh, learned financial, uh, I guess you'd say, expert in, the, in our community, we're going to be talking about transitory hyperinflation the five stages of the Federal Reserve in 2022, and the definition of money. Don't forget Pablos Panagopoulos uh, next week. Uh, also, uh, I'd like to recognize Fundaxi. We, on this show, talk a little bit about fundraising and supporting our community altruistically. We have several events coming up. In fact, our next guest will be talking a little bit about that. So why don't we go ahead and just... Uh, introduce our guest on Straight Talk with Jeffrey Candelaria. Mr. Jerry Shellow is a former business owner. He has been for the last uh, several years the president of a very fast-growing organization called the Rio Rancho Chamber of Commerce. In fact, they moved into uh, new facilities very recently. But I like to have him on periodically because Jerry is is really, he has his, his essence on the pulse of the business community here in the Albuquerque metro area as he is himself a former business owner and a leader of business in our community. Jerry Shallow, president of the Rio Rancho Chamber, welcome to Straight Talk with Jeffrey Candelaria. Great to be here, Jeffrey. Thanks for inviting me to be here. Absolutely. Uh, before we get into your uh, grand announcement about your new facilities, which has been several years in the making, thanks to you and your board, we have a relationship with Fundaxi. It's a local fundraising mechanism that's part of Pizza Nine, which is another local company. And thanks to, to our partnership, we're going to be creating a series of events over the next three or four months where certain restaurants, particularly on the west side, are going to participate. And the way it works, and I want you to expand on this, when people go to, let's say, Cactus Brewery or Slate Street, Slate Street Cafe or Pizza Nine on the west side, those funds will go, or part of those funds will go to a nonprofit organization or some fundraising effort. Is that is that part of our, our relationship, Jerry? That's exactly it. So the, uh, the Rio Rancho Community Foundation is a nonprofit that raises money and they do distributions annually to nonprofits. So what this program is gonna do is, is by you eating out at one of these select restaurants, then they're going to make a donation back to the Rio Rancho Community Foundation, which is going to go back to the nonprofits. Great thing about the foundation is it's a nonprofit, non-paid board. Just about every dollar that is raised goes right back to the nonprofits. Yeah. So these are all volunteers that are in the the, the giving back to the community kind of business. So we really appreciate that. Again, if you're interested in learning more about fund 
Daxi, so Fun Daxi. It is a local company here in Albuquerque. And what we do is if you're a host like a restaurant or even if you have an office, we can host an event where we drive people to your office or to your restaurant, particularly on days that are a little bit slow because all restaurants have slow days. Maybe it's Tuesday night. Maybe it's Wednesday at lunch, whatever. And you, the owner or the host, make a determination as to how much you want to give back. And then that uh, we help through Fundaxi, through the chamber, through our marketing company at Fundaxi. And yes, I am Jeffrey Candelaria, part of Fundaxi. We will help drive business to that host uh, venue. So it's a really uh, very utilitarian way to, to, uh, to be involved. What is your contact information, by the way, over at the Real Rancho Ch- uh, Chamber, Jerry? 505-892-1533, and our uh, web address is rrrcc.org, three R's, two C's.org. All right, so we're going to be talking about business, particularly on the local front. Uh, I do want to recognize our sponsors, Pablo Panagopoulos. We have a new sponsor called S3. It's cyber uh, a cyber IT, cyber security company, IT company. Really appreciate uh, Ben Morzek for being a new sponsor. If you'd like to sponsor this show, Jeffrey Candelaria, Straight Talk with Jeffrey Candelaria, uh, get a hold of me at Jeffrey, J E F F R E Y dot candy77 at gmail.com or call the station here. All right, let's get into uh, obviously some really great news for businesses, not only on the west side, but really the central, uh, you know, central New Mexico community, because I believe you have some marketing expansion plans. Tell us about your new, uh, your new digs. Well, we're really excited about it. It's been, uh, as uh, many folks in Rio Rancho have told me, it's, uh, it's been 40 years in the making. Chamber turned 41 this past year. Um, This new facility uh, is right there off of 528 next to Target in Rio Rancho. And it's a different concept to New Mexico in that the building itself is the Business Innovation Growth Center. And what we do there is, from what the Chamber offers, we'll be able to offer more services, more training, more things to help start up, grow, expand your business, get employees, get trained employees. We'll be offering training to youth to make them a better employee or to prepare them yeah. to go to work. Um, all of those type things, all in one spot. It's a really great facility, centrally located. And our footprint for this is really, you know, it's Sandoval County, which includes Rio Rancho, Corrales, Bernalillo, but Albuquerque as well. Albuquerque needs things like this to turn the workforce around. If we have a better workforce, stronger workforce, creates economic development, which is more money into the economy, and it all stays here. Yeah. So your new facility isn't just a, a building where you ho- house administrative people that support what you do operationally. It will be a resource in and of itself, is what I'm hearing you say. That's exactly it. It has, from the resource standpoint, like I said, for business or individuals. Matter of fact, it also includes a visitor and relocation center. And that visitor and relocation center helps folks that they relocate here. So let's say that uh, someone comes out here and they're going to work for Sandia National Labs because they're expanding greatly. There's a trailing spouse there that is looking for a position or a job yeah. that fits their her needs or his needs. 
and we will help them find that job and get that ability to continue their career. Excellent. Now, where were you located, just to give people a, a bit of perspective, because most people are familiar with Rio Rancho, at least uh, at least maybe even at a superficial level. Where were you and where are you from from where you were, to give us sort of a sense of reference? So to give you an idea, we were at the corner of Southern and 528 in Rio Rancho, probably the main corner, using, you know, that's kind of Rio Rancho's start of Main Street, that corner right there. Yeah. And then we have moved next to Target. It's a separate building, formerly Bank of America. And that building is about a half mile from there to the north on 528. Okay. And it must have taken quite an effort to begin to plan this four years ago or whatever it was. How, how long did this take to, to make this transition? It wasn't just something that happened a year ago, I imagine, right? No, we had uh, actually started planning and looking at how the chamber can be much more impactful than it is. You know, we're, we do a lot of things out there, and you know that, but we wanted to be more impactful. Um, how can we be the, the key focus for the community and build up the community? Westside and Rio Rancho are growing so fast but the services aren't growing as fast as what we need. So we, we analyzed that, two years of analysis, and then after we did that of analysis, putting the plan together, revamping the plan in our annual meetings, so about four years total, um, and then it was time to find the building, but then what the heck happened? The pandemic hit, slowed us way down, yeah. and then... Um, and then, as with everything, if you have a positive outlook on things, pandemic is a negative, but we're making that a positive. Okay. My guest is Jerry Shello. He's the president of uh, the Rio Rancho Chamber of Commerce. By the way, Rio Rancho is the second or third largest city in the state right now, uh, just right next to Albuquerque, obviously, on the west side, northwest of Albuquerque. Uh, this is Straight Talk with Jeffrey Candelaria. We're with you every Saturday. From 1 to 2 p.m. on 1600 Kiva AM, I'd like to thank Eddie Otagon for providing the platform. Also, our sponsors, Pavlos Panagopoulos with Satera Financial and also S3 uh, Cybersecurity. If you'd like to sponsor the show, get a hold of me, jeffrey.candy77 at gmail.com. I promise you, my interview style and being a business person and trying to be as as authentic as possible and trying to attenuate and, and relieve myself of as much hypocrisy. That's what this show is known for. And I think you'd agree with that, Jerry. You, you're interviewed by lots of people, but I try to be as straight, as fair, as direct, and commonsensical, if there's such a word, and pragmatic as anybody that's ever interviewed you. And I'm not just putting you on the spot. I think you'd agree with that. I definitely do. You are very direct and... Uh um, great thing about you, Jeffrey, is you don't pull any punches. You're not, you know, it's not a political um, uh, duck and dodge no. that can happen. You put it right on the table yeah. and uh, creates great conversation. Well, I am a, you know, full transparency. We can't escape politics. You have to deal with political issues, board members, uh, members themselves, policy issues that affect Rio Rancho. You have to deal with the legislature, which I'll be talking to you about here in a minute. But, you know, I am a libertarian conservative. Uh, I apologize for being a Republican because I'm disgusted with my party. But I am a Republican. Having said that, I am critical of 
anyone who has power and influence who doesn't do the best they can to represent their constituents. And that's all I ask of anybody, whether you're a Democrat, whether you're a liberal, whether you're a Republican, whether you own a company, whether you're running the airport, you have power and influence. Do the best you can to represent your constituents transparently and honestly. And if people make mistakes, own up to it, move on. That's all I ask of anybody and myself. By the way, my wife asks the same thing of me. (laughs) (laughs) At any rate, getting back to your innovation center, what I really appreciate about your innovation center, we want to make it as relevant as possible to our listeners, business people. The people that came up with the strategy to design the resource center are themselves business owners, correct? That's exactly it. It's business owners. So our our chamber board is a little different than most in that we we do have the big business partners and then but we have very small businesses as yeah. well on that board. And what we built a plan on is how do we take good-sized businesses right now, $20 million businesses, they're successful in New Mexico, and that's a large business in New Mexico. Right. But how do you make them a $25, $30 million business? Or if you have a startup, we have uh, business owners on that board that were helping us create this that said, well, we this this is what the headaches were when I started a business. I need this to run smoother. I did not know what I did not know. Yeah. And so we've looked at those things and we've enlisted business partners in this and we really look forward to really growing the economy here. Yeah. And a couple of things again my guest is Jerry Shello on Straight Talk with Jeffrey Candelaria. He is the president of the Rio Rancho Chamber. He himself is also a business owner, former business owner, so he understands the dynamics of owning a business. You know, I used to work for a chamber of commerce, and one of the problems I remember, I worked there for 20 years, we had a board of about 30 persons, correct? Mm -hmm. The problem with a lot of these business organizations like chambers of commerce and economic development organizations is... And it is a problem, and I'm saying it right out loud on Straight Talk with Jeffrey Candelaria. They recruit corporate people on their board because the corporate people, let's say the head of, no offense, PNM or whatever, provides funding to the organization. Mm-hmm. But here's the issue. No offense, but those corporate people that are on the board are bureaucrats and administrators. So unfortunately, lots of organizations are run in terms of governance by people that don't understand the pragmatics of owning and operating a business. And I appreciate what you said because most of your, the preponderant number of people that populate your board are business owners themselves. They are, they're business owners. Majority of our board is a business owner um, or in a leadership role. Um, from their standpoint, you know, listening to them on where they've come from and where their background is, and really creating a plan based on those things. And when you have a large board, you were mentioning 30, ours isn't 30, ours is 22. We separated them out. When we created these plans, we said, look, you're big business, you're super big business, you're yeah. P&M, you're New Mexico Gas, you're you know, very small business, you're mom and pop, and then you're somewhere in between. We separated these the board members in our planning sessions in groups so that we could answer those questions based on the group size because we wanted to fulfill all. Yeah. Because it, the unique part of this is, is you need the large businesses. You need the P&Ms, the New Mexico Gases, the Intels. Those are big initial job creators and headline makers. Those folks and what they do 
impact that small startup business. That small startup business is going to look at, I'll give you an example. Here's a great example. Waste management is on our board, okay? Large company. Waste management is there, but this new startup business that we, uh, we worked with, great idea, would have never thought of this. He cleans trash cans. <laughs> And how he, you know, he spoke to uh, wealth man, um, waste management and another of others and the whole nine yards. And he created a plan, something that waste management can't do. But because waste management, large company in place, yeah, he's going to be able to build his business yeah. based on what they can So part do. of his best practices, yeah. part of it is understanding the experience that the bigger company has. So what you did was you divided... In, in, not labor, but divided resources based on expertise. Exactly. Industry expertise, business expertise, very smart. And then you matched up the small with the big, the medium with the large, whatever. And it was almost a potpourri or a buffet of expertise. And then people could call on each other to build symbiotic relationships. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's it's all a process flow or cycle of business going from small to large. Yeah. And it creates, by creating those three different groups it really answered the questions of all businesses, not just some businesses. Very good. My guest again is Jerry Shellow. He's the president of the Rio Rancho Chamber. Rio Rancho now is what, the second or third largest city in the state? Third largest still. I'm going to contend that we're second. I, I know for a fact that Rio Rancho is the fastest growing city right now in the state of New Mexico. We can't build houses fast enough. I think we've added about five to 6,000 people in the past year. Right. Um, that's really fast growth. If we actually could build all those houses and we had a workforce to build all those houses, yeah. we'd probably, we, you know, we had 18,000 in growth over the past 10 years. We'll probably surpass that in two years. So what are you, 110,000 now, something like that? About 106. That was close. Well, you know, what's really... But, but if you look at the roads right now and all the out-of-state plates, I'm sure we're over 110. What's interesting is Albuquerque has really stagnated. The state of New Mexico, for the first time since census were taking place, by the way, the first census globally that was taken was Augustus Caesar, I believe, uh, the nephew of Julius Caesar, just in case you're interested, <laughs> about 20 B.C. Uh, anyway, and censuses were built by the Romans to collect taxes. taxes. Anyway. New Mexico had, for the first time, because censuses are done every 10 years, the smallest percentage of growth since the census was you know, first put forth in this state. We only had like a 1.1% growth in New Mexico, which is really, I think, very sad because healthy environments tend to grow with true diversity, with true robust uh, eclectic business and industry, and that's just not happening. But in Rio Rancho... It is. What do you attribute the growth, not only in terms of population, but the growth in terms of business and really just kind of an eclectic feel to Rio Rancho? What do you attribute that to, Jerry? What I attribute it to is Rio Rancho, being 100,000 folks, is still a small town. In many cases, the way we work the whole nine yards, it's a very comfortable town. Folks can come to Rio Rancho there's great schools there. We do believe in public safety there. Um, if you do commit a crime, you are going to jail in Rio Rancho and Santa Volcano. Accountability. Yep. Um, those are the two biggest pieces. But on top of that is a quality of life. 
You know, they just built the brand new amphitheater out there at City Center. That's an award-winning amphitheater now. And but they just keep on adding and adding more services that just makes it a great place to live. Yeah. And now here here's an interesting deal is Rio Rancho has more housing starts than Albuquerque. That's what well, that's doesn't that doesn't surprise me at all. I had uh Kent Cravens on my show about six months ago, and New Mexico, like lots of urban communities, because of COVID and other issues, the the demand is there for housing, but unfortunately, the supply, materials, and even labor to construct housing is an issue not just here but all over the place. So I, it doesn't necessarily surprise me what you're articulating. Uh, the other thing that is interesting, though, that he mentioned, and I I probably read too many books on sociology, psychology, philosophy, whatever. But I was reading this book about sociology and the millennials and the generation uh, that will that will uh, come thereafter. I think it's Z as in zebra. Mm-hmm. Right. Those populations thus far, because they're still relatively young, don't have the fascination we did as baby boomers with owning property. They don't have the fascination with owning property further if and when they do, and again, this is sociological talk, they don't care about big backyards, big dens, D-E-N, those kinds of things. They'll, they're more interested in a, in a good kitchen, the sleeping area, and maybe an entertainment area. That's about it. So having said that, even the way housing has been constructed over the last 50, 80 years, particularly after World War II, those configurations are going to change. Have you seen any of that, maybe even anecdotally? Well, a lot has changed with that. And, uh, you know, I'll take a step back on this. Is Prior to the pandemic, they were you were seeing this big boom in downtowns. And, you know, that's what they kept saying. Yeah. The uh, Albuquerque downtown and Knob Hill were supposed to boom and everything else. As a matter of fact, uh, MR Cog, which is the... Uh, kind of determines the growth for this for the entire metro area they said oh it's going to grow a lot in in albuquerque along the downtown knob hill area absolutely not fastest growing area is still rio ranch on the west side by far but what has changed since the pandemic is now millennials due to the prior administration the presidential administration millennials started making more monies getting out of mom and dad's basement and now all of a sudden those that didn't want to buy a house they we heard that for years millennials just want to rent oh no no they just didn't have the funding to start a family build a house now they're fitting more back into what generation x was which was buy the property the whole nine yards but what has changed when you talk to realtors you talk to uh, particularly home builders is now they're setting up a bedroom with a office because there's so many folks that are working from home now. So that's something that's changed. They still want a three or four bedroom house, but one of them's got to be a dedicated office. But they are coming back out to the suburbs. And then what the pandemic has also taught them is, is I don't want to be on top of my neighbor next door. That's why you're seeing mass exodus from Chicago, New York, L.A., 
for other reasons as well. You and I both know those. Oh yeah, but, you had but seven hundred deaths a year or more. Oh, excuse me, it's a it's a huge number of deaths. Yeah, blacks killing blacks in the urban community there, particularly on the south side. But yeah, different different topic. Yeah, so from that standpoint, you're seeing this big change, and they're moving to what we call the suburbs or Rio Rancho, and Rio Rancho is really and the west side has now become its own city. You could essentially, give you an idea, you could essentially take the Rio Grande and put Rio Rancho in the west side, everything west of the river is its own city. Yeah. It'd be about 280,000 people. Where years ago, you know, I've been living on the west side since 92. Yeah. When you're out there on the west side, it used to be you always had to go east for this or that. Yes. There's no reason to cross the river anymore. Yeah. Well, because remember back then you didn't have a mall. You didn't have lots of supermarket centers, those kinds of things with true eclectic diversity of all kinds of foods that your your palate desires. Uh, you didn't have the infrastructure there. Absolutely good point. I've always surmised and said out loud like the mayor has this Albuquerque one thing, yeah. which, you know, that's fine. We, we should want to be unified as a community, as an Albuquerque, you know, metro area. Because Albuquerque metro was about 900,000 or something like right. that. Yep. So almost a million people. But I've always said out loud, Albuquerque isn't one community. I mean, you've got people that live in the South Valley. They're not going to go to the, the east side and go to vintage and necessarily feel comfortable ordering, like I said, Steak Diane Oscar style and a bottle of Chateau Lafitte 58. But the reverse is true. All these Tanawan people that make maybe $200,000 a year, they're not necessarily going to go to Monte Carlo. Maybe they will, but they're not going to go over there and, you know, order enchiladas with an egg on top, uh, (laughs) extra hot. So the point is, maybe it's true of all big communities that are over a million folks, but Albuquerque isn't one monolithic community. It's it's different it's different neighborhoods, different populations who have in a sense maybe even different ways of looking at at the world. And to your point, it's interesting because Rio Rancho, however, because it is small enough that I think it can perhaps have a sense of still that community. We are Rio Rancho. Does that, that make sense? That's absolutely it. Yeah. It's uh, Rio Rancho is still that way. You know, and you look at, um, and it's really picked up as well as on the west side, because the west side is seeing itself, you know, you have Paradise Hills, you have Ventana Ranch, you have Taylor Ranch. Those key areas right there on the northwest side are the same thing. They're creating these pockets to where the development just occurs locally. What we have to get folks on the west side to remember is, is every time they don't have a business that they want. You know, I'll throw out the magic one. Trader Joe's. Everybody talks about, hey, we want Trader Joe's on the west side, Rio Rancho. Um, That's a great idea, and they would do exceptionally well. The challenge is, is we've got to make sure that if you want to go to Trader Joe's, you avoid, in most cases, going to Trader Joe's because they're on the east side and you go to the west side. You force them to move with you because right now, if you go to the Trader Joe's on Paseo, yeah, that Trader Joe's today is living off of all the West Siders driving down Paseo to go get it. Yeah, that that Trader Joe's does not do well without the West Side. Yeah, that makes sense. It does. Again, my guest is Jerry Shallow, president of the Rio Rancho Chamber. We're talking 
business. And we're talking business from a very different point of view. We're talking about how populations have propensities to buy things, not buy things, uh, based on not only where they live, but even culture and those kinds of dynamics. Only on Straight Talk with Jeffrey Candelaria Saturdays. Every uh, every Saturday, 1 to 2 p.m., 1600 a.m., tell your friends. There's nobody else that does the interview or brings guests like I do. It does not happen. And I'm not some carpetbag academic coming from Harvard telling you how to live your life. I'm from South Broadway, Condolati. I've been here in my family for since 1620. At any rate, I always say I've survived the gauntlet of New Mexico. <laughs> this is a very odd, bizarre state in many ways. So what's really also interesting about when you say Rio Rancho and Albuquerque, we're still attached to each other, only separated by a hill and, you know, maybe, you know, 500 yards or something. So people that live in Rio Rancho also live in work in Albuquerque. And there are people that live in Albuquerque that go to Rio Rancho, work at Intel. So there is that that transitional symbiotic relationship, too, just in terms of, you know, uh, transitioning to go to work and, and those kinds of things and to buy certain products. The other thing, Rio Rancho, maybe doesn't have a, a it doesn't have a top golf. It doesn't have a, you know, a main event. It doesn't have whether we like it or not, Coronado. It has. So it there's still appetites for things that are in Albuquerque so that your population. And when I say your, the, the, the you know, the, the place where you dwell and nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying the appetites, there are things in Albuquerque that aren't there either. So there is some of that, you know, migration mm-hmm. to Albuquerque. Nothing wrong with that either because, you know, it, it helps Albuquerque's economy. It doesn't, the tax doesn't stay there. But, I mean, it does happen, right? People want to go to main event. They want to go to Top Golf, They want to go to Ruth Chris or whatever. So that happens. Oh, absolutely. And all you have to you know, if you're a West Side or a Rio Rancho, you just have to be conscious on the more dollars you spend on the West Side of the river, the more things there come to the West Side. You know, you can look at different cities. You can look at the East Valley of Phoenix. That's exactly what happened out there. They built the 202, you know, out here in West Side and Rio Rancho. We're trying to get Paseo del Volcan. That is New Mexico's. That's Albuquerque's 202. So that road will... So define... Paseo Volcan for those of us that live not on the west side. So Paseo del Volcan, basically give you an idea, where the Amazon building is, the west side of that building is on Paseo del Volcan. And then it swoops around. It's on the west side of Double Eagle Airport, comes back around, goes to Rio Rancho. And currently, Paseo del Volcan is built from 550 to Unser in Rio Rancho. But it needs to continue the rest of the way. So it connects. Basically, if you can imagine this, you would have an Albuquerque west side loop that goes from I-40 to Paseo del Norte. Yeah. And then it continues from Paseo del Norte to uh, 550 on the Sandoval County side. Is 550 the, the artery that connects you to Bernalillo? It's the artery in Bernalillo that takes you to Farmington. It's the okay. old, uh, what was that, old 44? Okay. It's 550 now. Construction's been completed on it. So what's precluding that from happening? Obviously, it's money. Is it politics? About And b- about how many miles are we talking about to make that connection happen, would you say? Total miles on that is about, uh, what is that, about 20 miles total. Okay. Um, from that standpoint, uh, in the past, it's been politics. 
you know, uh, certain folks in Bernalillo County did not want it because it's urban sprawl and this and that. But the challenge is, if you look at Phoenix, you look at the 202, you look at the 303, you go to Colorado and look at these loops that they're putting around. Um, every one of those had been huge economic impacts. It's not by accident Amazon put their factory out there at I-40 and Paseo de Volcan. They want quicker access to be able to get their product up to the four corners. Yeah. And that is the quickest way to do it is, is instead of going down I-40 to I-25 to 550, now they can just take that and go all the well, way Well, Rome became the preeminent city 2,000 years ago. Actually, it was about 2,300 years ago. But it flourished under the empire of Octavius right after Julius Caesar because of roads. Right. Roads. Every road leads to Rome. The importance of roads, because roads do what? You can, you can import and export product. So Rome became this extraordinarily eclectic place where you could get maybe, uh, don't quote me on this, but maybe sugar or maybe ginger or maybe uh, a, a silk because you had roads that took you to different parts of the world. And ultimately, like Constantinople later on, they became meccas because they had various mall products, if you will, almost like going to the mall. You can get everything from a chicken sandwich to a Gucci, you know, purse, whatever. Right. And uh, for me, I'd like to see Nordstrom's here and, and an In-N-Out Burger. <laughs> In-N-Out Burger. Well, In-N-Out Burger's getting close. So as soon as they build out Denver and Colorado Springs, they'll be here. Yeah. And I'm fascinated by uh, In-N-Out Burger. I just think it's an incredible, uh, not just product, because it is pretty cool, but just the way they, uh, they, 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 the ingress and egress of, of customers, it's, it's really fascinating. But, but Jeffrey, they got to have green chili if they're going to be oh, here no, in Mexico. And I, and I think they would probably make an exception, because we still have, <laughs> and I will say definitively, we have the best chili there is in yep. North America. Colorado, I've had it, the Pueblo green chili it's, it's not bad not bad but it doesn't have that that you know multi-layer flavor profile that uh particularly hatch green chili uh, has i wanted to ask you about a couple of other things uh, there was a really interesting uh article the other day that talked about and, and this is one of the few things i do agree on with uh it, you know political intervention because i think we're hyper uh regulated as a state and our liberties have been you know incrementally uh, removed over the last uh, 50 years all over the country, but particularly in states like New Mexico. However, there's a, a cap uh, legislation to cap exploitive interest rates to people who need loans. Do you ever do you ever get any of your business people that ever talk about that kind of thing? Ever is a long time, but I thought that was interesting because, you know, some of these smaller loans are at 36% right now. Right. But some of these uh, title company, excuse me, not title company, but loan institutions that you see them every once in a while on a block, you know, there's like, get a loan fast, get, I mean, they're loaning like loan sharks in, you know, Brooklyn at rates that are beyond 100% sometimes. I mean, that's incredibly beyond unethical. That's an astounding rate. I, I couldn't believe some of these rates that some of these small loan companies, so you get a thousand bucks, but they're charging you 160% on that thousand dollars. And by the way, you got to pay it back in two months. Yeah. You know, 
give you an idea, before 2008, there was a number of finance companies, large finance companies. You had um, household finance, you had beneficial, you had uh, city financial, the associates. You had all of these finance companies. And all these finance companies, in a lot of cases, self-regulated so that they had rates up to 36% because they were they had their own lobbying group, the whole nine yards. Well, what happened in 2008 in the economic collapse is, you know, they bought into riskier loans and everybody was hungry because property values like they are now going through the roof and then it explodes, goes in the wrong direction, and a lot of those got stuck. Yeah. So those went away. And then what happened to fill that gap is you still have folks that can't get a loan from a bank that they don't have the demographics. So they just need $1,000 to make it through the month because they had a car repair or something of that nature. So who's to fill the gap is these title loan folks. And what New Mexico needs to fix is from these title loans is they get to be able to charge fees plus interest. And that's what creates these exorbitant 100% interest rates because those fees get wrapped in. And then what happens is, is your car breaks down this month. Then next month, you're short because you couldn't go to work because of COVID and you don't get paid because you couldn't come in. Now, mm-hmm. need to borrow again. So every time you redo that loan, that institution charges more fees. Yeah. So it just keeps on growing and growing and growing. And it creates that big problem. So what truly needs to happen in this state is the prior loan, if it's going to be included in the new loan, you should not be able to charge additional fees on the whole amount. It needs, And then you need to lock in an interest rate. We need to have stronger usury laws here in New Mexico. Because if you, as a matter of fact, Mayor Torres in Bernalillo, great example. He is so frustrated that so many title loan companies are in Bernalillo. There's a ton. He has a lower income demographic out there. There's a ton of those out there. Versus if you go to Paseo in Wyoming, yeah. that whole area right there, there's not a one. Well, tenant one's not going to have any. No. No, they're not going to have any in much of the far northeast heights. Because why? Because those folks have different avenues. They have savings. They have different ways. They have credit cards with high limits. Well, they have higher incomes. Yeah, absolutely. They, they do. And these folks are targeted. So what it does is it further creates that gap between the haves and the have-nots. Yeah. And that's the challenge. We have to figure out how to fix that. Well, and- it is predatory loaning. It, it, it just is. They're targeting folks that are probably a little more desperate because of you know circumstances, low income, maybe low education, wherever they live. You know, they, they have one car that's uh, got three good tires and, you know, that one that's got that little uh, temporary tire. You see people like that driving around Albuquerque and I'm not judging them. It exists. Those are the people they're targeting. They know that. But the point is, I do think that perhaps legislators in Santa Fe who are unpaid, uh, which is another thing we need to fix, should look at maybe that industry because the predatory loaning thing does does happen i I didn't mean to digress i i want to again begin to conclude with the great resignation Uh, we have all most of us that pay attention to what's going on with our country have 
have attended ourselves to the fact that uh, 4.2 million Americans quit. It's not funny. In October alone, almost 4.5 million people left their jobs. Okay, this is really fascinating to me because remember that the unemployment benefit ceased in September. The month after, you had this huge resignation all over the country, including here in Albuquerque. We still see when we walk around or, or, or drive around, I don't know how it is in Rio Rancho, but in Albuquerque, it's like almost every third business you see we are hiring, whether it's a corporate entity or whether it's a small business. So in your estimation, based on you're a business leader in the community, you understand business, you're talking to business people all day, where do these people go? And are they running out of money because they had savings, but now they're running out? And it does affect supply and demand. It affects everything, whether it's food, whether it's this show today, we were going to have our first video simultaneous broadcast, but we didn't get our iPads and we didn't get like some of our camera equipment. So it's even affecting this show. Back to point. The Great Resignation, have you seen its effects in Rio Rancho? Do your businesses talk about it? And where did these people go? And just give us your thoughts on on how people kind of left because of COVID and, and all of that. Well, the challenge that we saw that it really affected the Great Resignation was childcare. There's less childcare available than there was. And that that is available is at a higher cost. So now you as a parent, you have to weigh... If I go to work and I have to go to my place of business and child care, I don't know what's happening with the schools, the whole nine yards. Where do we go from there? How, you know, does it make sense versus a lot of folks? So they're doing a calculation? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they're, they're looking at that. If it's going to cost me $1,000 per child for child care and I have two kids, it's going to cost me $2,000 a month, but I'm only going to make... 2500 after tax. I only have $500 left. Does it make sense for me to stay home and find a job that I can work for at home that way and then I don't have to worry about that balance. It's a tough balance, you know. Thank goodness the state hasn't closed down schools yet. You know, certain districts have closed down periodically, but every time you close a school, you, parents have to figure out on the fly what am I going to do? Am I going to take vacation? Am I going to quit my job? Yeah. What am I going to do with my kids? Is my brother or sister going to take care of the kids because I'm going to work? That creates that big challenge. So child care, stability in schools. The other thing you have is that is hidden in those numbers is you have a number of folks that were told to go back to work that have a, just a complete fear of COVID which is understandable, but I mean, it, it's, it's a fear where they don't want to leave their house. Um, that's how strong that is. And then the other group that you have noticing October, remember you had a number of businesses terminate people that weren't vaxxed. And in that case, you know, that led to resignation saying, if you're not going to go to work, then you're resigning. Yeah. If you're not going to get vaxxed, you're resigning. That increased that number further. So you're creating all of these great qualified people that are unemployed. So now you got to find out where they're at. I'll give you a pure example of uh, changing model. You know, HP and Rio Rancho. 
big facility. Hewlett Packard. Yep, Hewlett Packard, right there in city center, Rio Rancho, um, has a you know a number of employees. They're all working from home until further notice, and that that's been since the pandemic started. Doesn't look like they're going to be coming back. Um, so now they're working from home, and in their case, they you know Hewlett Packard HP says. Well, our productivity is remaining strong, so there's no point in bringing them back into the office. But now, that's a that's a sales customer service group. You can do that anywhere. But at the end of the day, what happens if you're a manufacturer? Yeah, you can't do that from home. No, that's a great point. And you've got to create all that social distancing thing, so you have less people actually producing widgets or whatever they were doing as well. You know, it's really interesting. You talk about this whole we did business by coming into an office and you had a desk and you had a computer or whatever you had a you know a a water fountain and you had the boardroom that whole configuration was basically built probably especially after world war ii right right so the last 70 years or so that's people went into an office 80 percent of the population that works went into a place but now through this chinese virus People have learned the convenience, frankly, of staying home. By the way, you don't also have to have as many cars on the road either because you don't have all these people rush hour, unless you live in L.A., of course. So maybe the Chinese virus also have taught us some lessons that productivity at home can be as it was when you went into the office without all this extraneous energy usage and all of that. The bad news might be the commercial real estate industry may be very adversely affected. You know, buildings and what I call the death of the skyscraper. Do you see that as a as a as a trend that will extrapolate or do you think that's a an ephemeral thing once the Chinese virus kind of runs its course? No, I, I think you're gonna I agree with you. I think it's gonna see a big change. You're already seeing that in Rio Rancho. You're taking these large call center buildings, and they're going to be more focused in on manufacturing, industrial, those type things. Um, matter of fact, Rio Rancho is looking at acquiring one of those for a career technical education. You know, big old 78,000 square foot building for career technical education, which we have a huge shortage of those folks. And that creates that big difference. So folks, it gives them the ability where they can work at home. If it's a sales, service, customer service, back office job. In a lot of cases, you can do that at home. If you are customer facing, you know, where you're meeting folks, like Chamber of Commerce, we could, you know, we worked remotely during the pandemic in a lot of cases, and there's things that we can do remotely. But if you're having a solid conversation and you're working through training and stuff like that, there's aspects of virtual training that drop off significantly or the interaction by doing it virtually drops off significantly. The trust and rapport drops off significantly. So you have all these adverse effects of working remotely. You still need, if you're going to work at home, you still have to create that opportunity, create those gathering spots, those opportunities, you know, less, less travel. So you won't have to, if you're working for a company, you you don't have to go to Chicago for a meeting anymore, yeah. right? You can stay here locally, but if you do have a big conference, 
You're not going to want to do the conference online. We tried that. doesn't work. You're going to want to do the conference in person. Yeah. Um, one other thing I'll throw in there real quick is that's been one of the biggest booms for Rio Rancho. You have folks getting out of California, Illinois, New York, Minnesota, Pennsylvania. They are relocating to Rio Rancho. They're relocating in New Mexico. Open spaces, great weather. Um, Rio Rancho has great schools, low crime. We're seeing these folks saying, man, my employer says I can live anywhere. I don't have to come into the office anymore. I'm choosing to get out of a high-tax, high-rent district in Chicago. I'm going to come right here into New Mexico. Well, not only high-tax, high-rent, but if you lived in Manhattan, you know, the mecca of the financial uh, world, uh, probably on the planet, nice place to live. But now with some of these crazy woke policies, and this is me editorializing, they're going to decommission uh, armed robbery now, make it a misdemeanor, a high misdemeanor crime. I mean, give me a freaking break. You're giving people in some of these woke urban communities, you're giving more almost like empathy to the people that commit crimes as opposed to the people that are victims of those crimes. So if I own a business in San Francisco, I'm getting the hell out of there, not just because it's, it's, it's a very expensive place to live, but I got tent cities all over my property defecation when i walk out my room or my uh, my uh my business and now they've decriminalized lots of crimes so i'm getting out of there for lots of other reasons too and maybe looking at i, I don't think albuquerque but places like oklahoma city uh, maybe dallas texas uh, maybe nashville uh, maybe boise idaho maybe rio rancho less government intrusion uh, people are held accountable if they commit crimes and they're business-friendly environments. And people don't like to hear that in New Mexico, but we are not a business-friendly place overall. We're highly taxed. We have gross receipts tax. You have to pay tax on Social Security. And I don't know that we have done such a good job on keeping people to commit crimes, particularly violent crimes, accountable. At any rate, I, uh, I digress. So we've got uh, maybe... 10 minutes or so. So so one thing, let me throw something in there real quick on the taxation yes. piece. You know, governor's talking about, first time this governor in four years is talking about, hey, she wants to lower taxes instead of increase taxes, which is interesting. It sounds good. Yeah, sounds good. So you're saving two cents on every $100 well, you spend. Yeah, so average family's saving $6 a month. Okay. So yeah, so keep this in mind, folks. When Grisham says, I'm going to lower taxes, do the calculus yourself. According to some of these economists that have studied her reduction of tax, which sounds good, it'll be a talking point. She's going to say, I'm going to lower taxes, I'm going to lower taxes. To the average person, they're going to save $6 a month. Yeah. You do the, you do the uh, calculations yourself. So a much better reduction in tax is let's get rid of the business pyramiding tax. That means that if you're a large corporation, you're a big company, right, and you have a staff accountant, you just hire that accountant, right, and it's all said and done. But if you're a small business, a majority of New Mexico is small business, they've got to pay tax for that bookkeeper they hire. They've got to pay tax on every specialty position that they hire because it's a third-party company. Yeah. So you're basically paying a company – that is, let's say they make widgets, they hire a bookkeeper from this bookkeeping firm, they got to pay sales tax to that person. Then they hire someone that is a contractor that can, they, 
this company builds widgets and the contractor molds steel parts. So now they got to pay sales tax on that guy too. So it creates this pyramid. And that's what, at the end of the day, makes New Mexico companies much less competitive than out-of-state companies. So my example of this is this. Is state of New Mexico has all this money that they issue contracts out to every year. And they issue m- more contracts to out-of-state companies than just about every other state in the country. Because if you're a business in the state of Texas, state of Arizona, state of Colorado, you're not having to pay this pyramid taxing. So you can come in at a lower dollar than the local New Mexico company. Yeah. And but, they lose that. But you got to remember, at the heart of the matter, the very fulcrum of this matter is more than half of the population of Mexico doesn't generate tax. So we're one of the states that has a population where almost half or more does not generate tax because it's taking, right? Whether people are on some social program or whatever it might be. And that's an issue that, again, no one talks about. Because if you live in a state, like I'm trying to remember if it was... uh, might have been Texas, maybe even Idaho, 70% of the population generates tax. They don't work for federal government or state, whatever, so they're generating wealth, right? They're creating wealth. It's not being recirculated. New Mexico doesn't do that. So we're like a big black hole sucking sucking money down, having to pay for all these social programs or whatever for people that don't generate tax. So you need, unfortunately, this whole tax system that's very – intrusive and pernicious to make up for some of that funding the the key here though is is you've got to look at i'm the, not defending it no, by the way you gotta you have to it's look at you have to look at tax how it impacts economic development because we are so uh reliant on federal jobs in this state that if we got rid of this pyramid taxing that helps businesses well of course it does something else according to Ask any economist or anybody understand the under, understands the principles of fundamental business. I'm also taxed on gross receipts, yes. so I'm basically being penalized by making a profit. Right. So you're de-incentivizing people to make a lot of money, you know, almost like a, that, that, as an unintended consequence. So I don't think people realize we're one of the few states where you're generating profit, but you've got to pay tax on that called gross receipts tax. And what I can really appreciate during the pandemic is the state of New Mexico did look at something that was unique, and that was um, when they were doing these grants, if you hired employees, you brought employees back, you did those type things, they gave you a grant back for that. It got people to work. You know, that's the other aspect of this is can we get new, more New Mexicans working, more New Mexicos trained to work? We, we have the last rated workforce in the entire nation. Yeah. Matter of fact, we're behind Puerto Rico. Well, look at look at the uh, education system, APS. We, we've got a, what, a 20% dropout rate? That, that's pre-Chinese virus. It, it Can is. Can you imagine? Look what we've done all over the country to our children in terms of preventing them from going to school. I understand. But remember, kids are least likely to die from COVID. They're going to get sick, unfortunately. Yeah. We understand that. You gotta, now they're wearing masks. We, you already said this a moment ago, learning certain things from a business perspective through virtual communication already has adverse effects. Can you imagine teaching kids math, science, whatever, through 
through you know computers. No, it, it's it, it's brutal. My daughter uh, made it through that virtual thing, taking some hard AP classes, and it was brutal. Yeah. So again, what we've done to our children all over the country is a shame. Look what they just did in Chicago. They vote the union again, voted against going to in school learning again to those kids in Chicago. And it also affects the very thing these Democrat woke people say they want to defend the most. Oh, people that are underserved, people of color. The people it affects the most are black people and Hispanic people in urban communities in terms of adverse effects to kids who are not learning in school. And now they're still at home with their little computers trying to understand the principles of mathematics I'll leave you with this, is career technical education can turn this around. After the first year of school, high school graduates, 60% are not in college. 60% after one year are not in college. Only 40% remain in college full-time. 60% are out. What is that 60% going to do? Career, technical, education. Learn to be a plumber. Learn to be a, you know. They, a, it's it's a, more than that, Jeffrey. HVAC, it, that's uh, the vocational side. Cybersecurity. Your new sponsor, cybersecurity. No. That's a huge growing field. IT, computers. These kids know computers. That is the new career technical education. It's no longer just vocational. It's the whole gamut. We have to spend more money. This state and I have pushed all of our representatives this state puts zero dollars into career technical education, puts zero dollars into job training. If it wasn't for the federal government, we wouldn't have any dollars in those categories. We have a surplus in the legislature. This has to turn this around. All right, we got one minute left. Your contact information, Jerry Shallow. 505-892-1533. Our uh, website is rrrcc.org. My email address is jerry, J-E-R-R-Y, at rrrcc.org. Jerry, it's always a, a pleasure. I'll have to have you back in a couple of months as uh, we continue through the gauntlet of uh, the Chinese virus and hopefully getting back to some sense of normalcy. Thank you again, Eddie Aragon, for providing the platform. I'm Jeffrey Candelario. Straight Talk with Jeffrey Candelario. Have a great weekend.